0: Fellini was dying. We knew he had maybe a few weeks left to live. I was living downtown in the East Village, and I decided the right thing to do was to go see every single one of his films at Film Forum on West Houston. And afterwards, I'd have a big plate of pasta somewhere and drink a bottle of red wine and stare at people's faces and look out the windows. I walked out of the Dolce Vita screening, and there was this old flame from college smoking a cigarette in the gutter. She looked right at me, but like I wasn't there. And she pretended to laugh at something this guy said that she was with, and, and I just felt like nothing. So I headed east. I'm Marco, and this is Songbird. Welcome to our first Behind the Song episode. It's about the first track from Heaven Get Behind Me, Fellini Was Dying, Drunk in the Afternoon. And that last part's in parentheses. So a lot of things inspired this first track. Obviously, the real life experience I had, but I also wanted to do something really raw just this guy in a room with the guitar desperately trying to express this tiny little anecdote, expanding it into a miniature opera of regret and loss and pain and what the hell is wrong with the world? Why does my hero have to die? And then why does this person I used to you know, share a bed with have to pretend that I am not even here? So it's kind of asking a lot of questions that there are no good answers for. There's a band called Hem, H-E-M. And their first album, Rabbit Songs, is, I mean, it's just a classic. I mean, I love that album. And as luck would have it, I know uh, their singer. uh, Sally Ellison is a friend of mine. And the first track on that album was basically an audition, a little demo she did. And all she had was this little cassette recorder. And she just sang this lullaby that, if I'm correct, her mother sang to her, Lord, blow the moon out, please. There's something about that intimate recording that somehow made me think that I could walk in their footsteps and I should do something along those lines. One of the reasons that this became the first track in the album is because I felt I needed to choose a song where you just hear that first chord, those milliseconds at the beginning of the song they set an immediate tone they just sort of open a door into this little strange world and suddenly you're alice and there's this little piece of paper that says drink me and you know you go through the little door and then you're on my little adventure i made for you all right let's hear the demo this was just recorded on my iphone that's it
1: and smile and those lips so swear so sweet and some flowers brought down the moon there's a voice down at the bottom of the well
0: listening to that I haven't listened to that in a long time actually it's faster than I remember and normally my phrasing is so much better in the demo I'm just falling in love with the song and the words are just sort of getting comfortable in my mouth I got a mouth full of marbles in this one that's (laughs) I'm glad it got better another
1: man's woman
0: when you hear the final version at the end of this episode, it's interesting how much the song evolved. So that is my hundred-year-old harmony parlor guitar that I'm playing there. There's something pretty magical that happens with that guitar when you put it in an open tuning. Standard, it's okay. But it just rings out in such a special way. So I'm an open G on this song. Uh, That's a key that uh, the Rolling Stones used. That's a key that Russian folk songs used. So it's a very democratic key. (laughs) But the point is, uh, open G is just, you'll find it constantly in music that you like and you don't realize that they're using it. I'm basically using this sort of A7 shape And then using just the open position as well. This is something that I do when I explore a new open tuning. I just put my fingers in familiar chord shapes and slide it around until something sounds kind of promising or interesting to me. It's like I told you in the first episode. It's very good to be naive. You just stumble across things and find things that speak to you. And it's such a simple way to solve that. So what's this song about? Well, it's about regret, it's about loss, and part of it is almost like a letter or a confession to this man that I don't know. It's deceivingly simple. And once I figured out the phrasing and edited the lyrics enough so that it wasn't alphabet soup in my mouth, you could really elongate certain things and lean into certain parts of it and even back off of certain things so that The things that you're so sort of scared to admit to yourself, like you're whispering them to yourself. Later on, I figured out I had to to do a certain amount of acting, not just singing, to make these lyrics really work. On the technical side, I have always been a huge fan of recordings done at Sun Records. There was basically one mic in the middle of the room, and your volume was set by how close or how far you were from that mic. I've actually been to Sun Records, and I will say, talk about a place someday I I dream of recording. And you know you can record there at night. Sean Rao recorded New Lore, a beautiful album there. So put that on your bucket list of places to record, because that room really does have a sound. But anyway... I had this idea that guitar and vocal would be on one microphone. First of all, because I cannot do this music recording guitar and then singing. It's impossible. The phrasing and the stopping and the starting and the slowing down and the non standard beat that all of these songs have, there's only one way to do it. And every time I play it, it comes out different. So I just have to pick the take that felt like the right one and sort of live with the little dings and buzzes and and all the little stuff because supposedly the performance is king and uh, you got to roll with the punches when you go that way. The microphone I got is a Neumann 102, which is not a $5,000 Neumann. It's about an $800 Neumann. I also found out that my nose whistles and that mic picked up freaking everything. And to me, when I hear half the tracks in heaven get behind me, I hear this fucking nose whistle sometimes. It's so hysterical. Of course, no one else can hear it. But to me, it's like ridiculously loud. So it's a great microphone. It picks up so much nuance. So it's guitar and vocal on one microphone. So the guitar's relationship to that mic, your nose and your lips, and their relationship to that same single mic is something I just experimented with and found what I felt was sort of a sweet spot that made sense to me. And then I did take a second mic that's a harmonica mic that's like a very dirty, gritty, you know, not a clean sounding mic. And just for the fuck of it, I put that on the guitar only. And I was going to use that as sort of like a little guitar grit influencer so that parallel to the main recording, we dial in just a little bit of this gritty guitar sound and maybe it would give some flavor to it. And if I didn't use it, fine, you know, whatever, it's there. Ironically, I used it almost on every single track. And I put this massive dampened delay on it. So it's sort of like this gritty echo of everything. And uh, of course, some of the voice bleeds onto it too. So it's sort of grit on top of grit. You know, maybe, maybe I went too far with the grit is something plenty of people have said. It made sense at the time. As far as this whole idea of doing everything on one microphone, though, it's really beautiful when you get it right. Your phrasing everything becomes so idiosyncratic, and when you capture it right, there's really nothing like it. But at the same time, it's quite terrifying, because you not only have to have your guitar playing perfect, your singing has to be perfect, at the exact same time. So it's kind of like expecting not one, but two miracles to happen. And as I kept learning, it is the most naked, humiliating, intimidating thing you can do to yourself. There's just nowhere to hide. But when you do get past that and you do get the solid take, it does feel like it's totally worth it. Let's talk about a major mistake I made that you're going to hear in the final track. So for some insane reason, I thought I should put extra light strings on my hundred year old guitar and don't even ask me. I think I probably misread something and convinced myself this was like some secret weapon to amazing magical sounds. The thing about extra light strings, especially on a guitar like that, is that it just goes out of tune within four strums if you're not careful. So you got to retune between every take. But there is a very jangly sound to the guitar in this. You know, maybe it sounds special, and we can blame that on those extra light strings, which I (laughs) very wisely took off the guitar and put on either mediums or lights after that. So once I had the take that I felt was the one, I want to say it was take five or take seven, I listened to the track and I started, you know, my basic mixing. And this whole, it's just a guy alone in a room with a guitar concept, it wasn't totally working. It wasn't transporting me to the place where the song came from. It was a guy singing alone in a room, and it was honest about that, but it didn't have any sort of narrative heft if that makes sense. So I turned to myself, the part of me that's a filmmaker and does plenty of sound design work. And I said, you know, do you remember when you did those first recordings when you lived in the East Village and you had the windows open and there would be kids playing downstairs and trucks in the street and how that was such a gentle and nostalgic kind of ingredient that made tracks really work. Maybe we should try that on this. So I built out this bit of sound design of taxi cabs and kids playing in fire hydrants, and then suddenly this song started to make perfect sense. I'm actually going to play you a bit of that track from way back when. It's called Marbles. I recorded it about a week after 9-11 on East 1st Street. And, you know, you can download this one for free from my Bandcamp page. I found her first She
1: knows
0: So sound design, be it natural, just working with the windows open, or I hate to say artificial, maybe fabricated, (laughs) it's a device, and it's a device plenty of people use. At the same time, I say the danger is it becomes a gimmick, and knowing when to use it and when not to use it is kind of complicated. So basically what I, I promised myself was if it made perfect sense for the track go with it and as you probably got I'm a minimalist I try to do as little as I can and I want to see how expressive I can make that minimum number of elements I just think that leaves much more room for you the listener to kind of complete the story then there's a little personal life element that I've left out of this behind the song I really need to kind of come clean with that now. I recorded this album in sequence. So this is the first song I recorded. And I record during the day. My older daughter Eve is in school. And my wife Natasha and our younger daughter Vera normally are outside of the house for the middle part of the day. That's when I like to record. So... Eve's in school Natasha and Vera Just went to the elevator And I go And I close the door And there's my Beautiful microphone Staring at me And I take this Long Wonderful breath Let it out Roll up your sleeves Let's do the work I hit record I do take And the front door opens Natasha and Vera there And The look on my face At the door I am so embarrassed But I was so sorry That they were home <laughs> And it was just one of those things. They had to come back home, and and I was just not going to record that day. And I'd been waiting for this day for a very long time. And the lesson in this is that it's so easy to be an artist and an asshole. It's so easy to think that what you're doing is so much more important than anything else. It isn't. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of patience to understand What is important, when it's important, and when it's not important. Although you would like it to be. But it just isn't. The next day, I did find the time to record, and that's all that really matters. I just wish I could take back the look on my face when they came back home. I'm still sorry about that. It's time for me to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to shut up. Here's the final version of the song as it appears on the album.
1: me, but I know that wicked smile and those lips, they are so sweet. There's a voice at the bottom of the well. Sixth Avenue, another man's life, another man's rose. They said Felini was dying and I saw you another man's wife. Now another man
0: knows It's very strange for me to listen to that. I feel like I'm looking at a a drunk guy walking down the street and I'm trying to understand if he's going to fall down or not. And that's like the song itself. I can't tell if it's going to make it or not or if it's going (laughs) to fall on its ass in a giant puddle. I was definitely terrified that this track sounded too amateurish. And at the same time, I just felt it was very honest. So I sent it to just a few very trusted friends. And very quickly, they said, all my fear at ease. Quentin, God bless you, Quentin in Brooklyn. He said, this has that slanty light to it. It's striking how sometimes an artist's voice is the same as his eye, a stylistic fingerprint. And Felix, rest his soul. He just wrote, record the whole damn album already. No excuses. Well, songbirds, this was fun. I never realized that podcasting is kind of a modern version of the oral tradition. We're just passing along stories and maybe a little wisdom. (laughs) That's left to be understood, but we're definitely handing on stories. And that is just a very human thing to do. Let's not let the technology fool us. We're just people trying to connect. Speaking of connecting... This is the fancy part at the end of the podcast where I ask you to subscribe and maybe even review us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts, or just go to songbirdpodcast.com. Heaven Get Behind Me is available through Bunky Hunt's lovely little record label, Whistlepig Records. Next time on Songbird, a French stalker, Glenn Campbell's guitar sound, And a Texas red herring. Thanks for listening. Shit, we still didn't explain who Martin Ruby is.